Amen. How y'all feeling? Amen. Some of y'all going to be mad at me, but would you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God, please, and thank you. Amen. <clears throat> yeah. Amen. Hey, it's all good. Because what, what can happen is, like, like, when we all get to heaven and we'll see the prophets, man, we'll see, you know, saints who were beheaded, they were fed to the lions because they would not say that I reject Jesus, they embrace Jesus, like, man, like, as they're telling their stories, man, like, I was crucified upside down, like, they put me in a log and cut me in half, and they cut my head off for the sake of Jesus, we could be like, yeah, this dude, Damon Horton, made me stand up, man, like, when we had to, you know, read the Bible, like, dang, talk about suffering, I'm just messing with y'all, all right, man, so tonight we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to read one passage, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. The Word of God says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let me say that one more time. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's go before the Lord as we pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to dive deeply into your Word. Thank you for all the content that you have been hitting us with over these past few days. Father, I pray again, that we would encounter Jesus tonight, and that, Holy Spirit, you would show us all the things in our lives that are not pleasing to you, show us the comforts that we run to, show us the way that we can find our idols by notifying the things that we run to when we are wrestling with fear. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the hope to smash these idols, to put Jesus on the throne of our hearts, and to be fearlessly faithful stewards of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Fearless faithfulness is what we're going to work through tonight. Fearless faithfulness. And as I think about, as I think about different movements in the United States of America, revivals, when people by the hundreds, the thousands, would hear the gospel priest and they would turn from a life of idolatry or they, were, they would turn from pagan religions and they would put their trust in Jesus. Many of those movements in America were actually led by the youth of our nation. And I would hear that growing up when I was young and be like, oh man, that's tight. Like God used young people back then. And the reality of how I connected that to my life is we would sit there and we would pray and we would ask God to send revival to see all kinds of people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And as I got older, I began to recognize, like, man, if God would have answered our prayers and hundreds of thousands and millions of people would have come to know Jesus Christ, I don't think our churches would have been ready to disciple them. And often I think about, man, what does it mean to be fearless and faithful at the same time? I think it's a desire to see a move of God, yes, that non-believers come to know Jesus, but it should never be divorced or separated from the local church having arms open ready to embrace those who made a profession of faith and walk with them in maturity in Jesus, which is basically discipleship. What good would it be for us to fight for children in the womb and be pro-life only if pro-life means 
Don't kill the baby inside the womb. But once the baby's born, oh, we don't want nothing to do. Let society raise that child. That'd be messed up. But that's what happens. The reality is, is that being pro-life is not just anti-abortion. It is pro-human flourishing that once that baby is born, if it's born into a broken environment, then maybe the people of God could step up and say, if the family is willing or if there's a way that we can partner with the family and love that child and nurture the child and see them grow in maturity, then what would that look like on a spiritual level? That if we just are only focused on people coming to know Jesus, but we are not willing to count the cost for discipling them and loving them and seeing them grow in Jesus, then what's the point of evangelism? What's the point of trying to communicate the gospel if there's no intention for follow-up and follow-through? So I think about this, and I look at my life, and I say, man, what would I have said to myself when I was your age? that summarizes the reality of this passage. Because this passage, which was always quoted to me if I was scared of the dark, this passage was given to me if I heard a drive-by, this passage was given to me if I was threatened to get jumped or shot, and it'd be like, oh man, God has not given me a spirit of fear. But I'm like, this passage isn't like pixie dust that makes your problems go away. What this passage is, it's a call that Paul is giving to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he's challenging him in a very specific way, in a specific context, to basically say, you don't have to wait till you're older to live as an example before the people that you are having to speak to, teach, and even correct. Because that's a very fearful situation. And as I look at this, I think the main point of this is this. If you can be faithful to Jesus now, you'll be fearless for him no matter where he leads you in the future. Let me say that again. If you will be faithful to Jesus now, you'll be fearless for him no matter where he leads you in the future. And faithfulness to Jesus includes not just preaching the gospel, but living out the truths of the gospel And being serious about seeing those who put their trust in Jesus grow in their faith in God. But at the same time, it's a commitment to living pure and keeping ourselves unstained while the world is constantly throwing its filth in our direction. All of that is what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus. We think about faithfulness in the context of relationships. That if you're in a relationship with somebody and it's your understanding that you two are in this exclusive relationship and if they break that and then they go and they engage in activities with somebody else on the side, on the under, they sliding in people's DMs on the under, all that, you're going to feel some type of way like, dang, now you want to throw all shade on them because they broke that, that commitment that you were passionate about keeping. So we understand faithfulness. But I think sometimes because we don't hear it in the context of living this out for Jesus, what does it mean to be faithful to Jesus? That means we ain't sliding in the world's DMs. That means we're not entertaining the world's entertainment like it's a side chick or a side dude. 
That we are being exclusively committed to our walk with Jesus. And I keep saying it, you don't have to wait till you're 30 to do this. You can do this now. It is possible. As somebody who the Lord saved at 15, I stand here 22 years later in a walk with Jesus saying it is possible to give your heart to Jesus as a teenager in America with all the filth around you and stay faithful to Jesus through your teenage years, through your 20s, through your 30s, and I'm approaching my 40s. You can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. You can be faithful to Jesus. That's what he calls you to. He may not call you tomorrow to go to Afghanistan, but he may call you to be faithful in your algebra class right now in this season. If you can learn faithfulness to Jesus now, no matter where he sends you, you will be fearless for him. So as we look at the text, there's some background story to verse 7. In verses 3 and 4, Paul tells Timothy, writing him this letter, Paul is in prison, he is about to die. This is basically like his last will and testament. And he tells his son in the faith, I'm praying for you regularly. And Paul looked forward to the day that he will hopefully see Timothy again because the last time they saw each other, they were separated and Timothy was weeping heavily because of that separation. What I love about the scriptures is that this is real emotion. These are not emojis. This is real emotion. This is Paul expressing a historic fact. To think about it, if you love someone deeply and you were convinced that when you separated from them in that moment, that's the last time you would see them, I guarantee there would be weeping. You wouldn't want to let them go. You wouldn't want to be separated from them. This is what Paul is saying. He is showing us that real people serve a real Jesus. This is not myths that are made up. This is not folklore. This is not legends. These are real lives. These are real hearts, real emotions. And so Paul is giving his son in the faith real encouragement in the face of real fear. In verse 5, while Paul is in prison, it brought joy to the fact that he knew that Timothy embraced Jesus as his Lord. And Timothy was living like he knew Jesus. We don't know anything about Timothy's dad, but we know that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois probably led Timothy to Jesus at a young age. In verse 6, Paul instructs Timothy to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy was like a fire that was dying out. I grew up in Kansas City, and it would get cold in the wintertime. February was never like it is outside right now. Be snow, ice, and sleet. And we had a fireplace. And I remember when the fire first started, the flame was huge. It was big. It was, it was fresh. It was comforting. It was warm. It was in the fireplace. But over the course of time, if my dad neglected the fire, it would, it would, it would die down. So he had to go and take the, 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 the pointer and he had to move, the, move the, the logs and they would break apart. And there would be new kindle and new ambers. Then he would roll up paper or twigs and put it in there. And with the shifting and the moving of the wood, it would then reignite the flame. And it would once again come to life. That's the picture of what Paul is telling Timothy. Paul is telling Timothy, your fire is dying out. You were doing so well when you started out. 
But now with the pressures of trying to be faithful to Jesus, you're consumed with fear. You're facing things that you don't want to face in your flesh and you're dying out. And he's saying, fan the flame. There's times in our lives where God will move things and move people. He will move our comforts. He will move our idols so that he can fan that flame that once burned brightly in our lives. But over the course of time, it began to die down. For some of us, it may be, why did my phone bust? Why did my MacBook crash? Why did I get moved from this class to that class? And it's like, you know what? You may never know the answer to why, but maybe God is moving things so that once again, your heart would be reignited and rekindled for a flame that is burning for Jesus Christ. The same can be said of our walk. When we start off on fire, we neglect our spiritual disciplines. We don't dig into the Word of God like we once did. We don't take time to pray. We don't pray for the lost. We don't encourage people to pray with us. We don't set time away to push our plate away so that we can deny our flesh the food for this one meal so we can go pursue Jesus with all we have through prayer and fasting. Like, these are disciplines that when we ignore them, just like an athlete, who is lazy during the off-season when the first day to report back to practice comes up and they're overweight, out of shape, while everyone else has been working, there's that reality that, oh, man, I got to get everything in gear because all of my laziness, my lack of self-discipline is now put on display in front of everybody, and I've got to try to play catch-up now. We'll be serious about sports, but when it comes to our spiritual walk with Jesus, Some of us just don't have a desire. I tell people all the time this story is that when it comes to the reality of what distracts us from having a hunger for God's word, I think it's because we spend time feasting on the things of the world. One of the dishes that I love that my wife makes is lasagna. And if you've heard this story, roll with me because I love it. I love telling it. Then when she makes lasagna, she wakes up early in the morning. She makes her own sauce from scratch with legal ingredients that the Bible approves of. Let me just say that because I live in California, but it's legal according to the Word of God, not according to the state of California. All right, so with that being said, it's legal, it's good. She sautés her meat. She puts garlic cloves in her sauce. Like, it's amazing what she does. She layers it by putting the warm noodles on the pan first that's been buttered, Then she puts five Italian cheeses down, and then she puts meat, and then she spreads the sauce, and then she puts another layer of noodles that's like a warm-down blanket on our cold East Tennessee January morning. (laughs) And she repeats till it's like birthday cake thick, man. Then she takes fresh ingredients, and she puts together tossed salad, and then she gets fresh bread, and she bakes it a little bit where it's a little crispy, pulling it out of the oven. And when she cracks it, the steam rises like the prayers of the saints to the nostrils of God himself. And God is like, I am well pleased with the baking of that bread. And then she makes her own butter garlic sauce, and she spreads it nice and thin where it's like this layer that that just soaks at the surface, but deep enough that when you bite into it, it kind of just goes down like a mustache. And you're like, man, all is well with the world in this moment. 
And I remember one day my wife, before I left for work years ago, she said, hey, baby, I'm making lasagna for dinner. And I was like, hashtag, won't he do it? Like, all right, let's go. We going in. I said, I think Jesus is calling me to fast for the day so I can break fast tonight with my family over your lasagna, baby. So I gave her a kiss, and I scampered on my way out. That was at 7.30 in the morning. 11.30 came, and the homies knocked on my office door. I was like, what's good? They was like, hey, man, we're going to go get some cheeseburgers. Now, the way I always say it is Superman has kryptonite, right? My kryptonite is cheeseburgers. I make no apologies about it. Obviously, the evidence is right here. And I was like, y'all going where? And they was like, we're going to go get some cheeseburgers, bro. And I was like, man. Okay. I had a moral decision to make in that moment. I could either fall back and say, man, I'm straight. I'm good. I'm just going to have a cup of coffee. Woe is me. But I know lasagna is coming. Or I could say, nah, I'm going to go chill with the homies. Kick it with them. I chose the latter. I said, hey, I'll drive y'all. But I ain't going to eat nothing for real. They was like, all right, cool. So I'm sitting there, but I'm hungry, borderline hangry at this point. And we get into that line, and I'm like, you know what? If I drink water, it's going to go right through me, and it's going to make me more hungry than ever before, like chewing gum when you can't eat. It makes you more hungry, makes you mad, makes you irritated, makes you hangry. And so I'm sitting there like, yeah, I need something a little bit more filled with substance, something liquid, sweet tea. I'm going to go and get that sweet tea from the south that is like maple syrup thick. And I'm going to dive into that sweet tea because it's going to give my stomach a fresh coating so it'll give me the endurance to stay pure until I get home to break fast so I can eat that lasagna. So as I'm about to order my sweet tea, the lady says, may I help you? And I'm like, yeah, let me get that double cheeseburger with a large fry and a vanilla shake. Just comes right out. I don't know what demon possessed me and then jumped out after it gave its order, but that's what happened. And the lady read back the order and I'm like, I wanted to jump out of my body like, wake up, stop it. No, walk away. And she said, is this complete your order? I said, you know what? I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. She's like, what? I said, I got the order wrong. Can you make that shake double thick, please, and thank you? <laughs> and they did. And I said my prayers, blessed the food I ate, went back to work, had the hardest time staying awake for the rest of the day. Then I go home in the whip driving hit the corner to my block, and boom, I get hit with the smell of lasagna. Now I have fear because I ain't got no appetite. And I roll up to the door, and my kids open up the door, and then they curtsy. And I'm like, whoa, hold on, what's going on? Somebody died? Why y'all all extra proper right now? Hello, Father, welcome home from work. Dinner is prepared and served. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What y'all doing? Like, why y'all acting like this? This is me. Who y'all think this is? Like, why y'all acting like this? Y'all burn something? Y'all break something? What's really going on? They was like, no, we just been waiting all day to eat. We're ready for you, Dad. Now we can eat. I'm like, oh, man. Now I got sweat beads forming on my forehead, and I'm sitting there like, I just need to go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom, put water on my face, and I'm like, Jesus, give me an appetite. Like, I'm like, please, God, please. I'm scared to face my family. So I go and sit down. My wife has already cut the lasagna, already got my salad, got the dressing, got the bread, candle lit. Everything is legit. And I'm just like, oh, man. My daughter says, Daddy, would you please say the blessing? And I'm like, stop talking like that. Like, you don't ever talk like that. So I'm praying audibly, but internally I'm screaming, Jesus, be an appetite. Jesus, be an appetite. Say amen. Then I start going in. And I start moving my food around. 
making jokes so that everyone's laughing and not paying attention to me. And I'm like, I'll get a bite and be like, oh, yeah, and then another thing, right? And I just start like, everybody's laughing. Then my oldest daughter's like, Dad, why ain't you eating your food? And I said, girl, go to your room right now. <laughs> she said, what? And now she's got tears like, ah, what? And I'm like, girl, don't you ever come at me like that. You know, if we was on the streets, I'd be laying your face on the ground coming to me like that right now. And she was like, oh. she runs off. She was like eight years old. My four-year-old, who was my thug angel. I love my thug angel, Lola. Because Lola was like, she's straight hood. She was like, you know what? This ain't even about me. I'm just going to take my plate and I'm going to eat over here. Like, she was like, I don't want none of this drama. My wife says, Damon, why did you talk to Bella like that? I'm like, girl, did you see how she came at me? You know when we was growing up, we would have got backhanded for talking like that to our parents. She said, Damon, all she did was ask you, why ain't you eating your food? And Damon, that begs the answer to the question, why ain't you eating your food? And I was like, oh, so now, now you want to go? <laughs> Hashtag come at me, bro, like what? So I try to sidestep, and she's like, no, for real. She puts her fork and her knife down. She puts her napkin on her plate. Why ain't you eating your food, Damon? And I was like, okay, I got two choices. One, I could just run out the door and never come back. <laughs> Sometimes I think I should have did that, but I didn't. So I said, okay, see, what had happened was the homie said cheeseburgers. I blacked out. Here I am is, and I ain't hungry. That's all I know right now. My wife didn't smack me. She didn't yell at me. She didn't throw the bread at my head. <laughs> this is what she did. She got it from the table quietly, started to cry, and walked into the other room. You talk about feeling like a jerk in that moment. I was like, man. Went off on my daughter for no reason. Lola was smart, street smart. She got out the way. <laughs> Broke my wife's heart because she told me early that day she was making this meal for us. And because I was not disciplined, because I made a commitment to not eat, because I overate because I was hungry in that moment, I had no appetite for the meal that was prepared for me with love. What's that got to do with this? It has everything, because this is how we do God. This is the meal that he has prepared for us in love. But we have no appetite for it because of the foolishness of the world that we're feasting on. And then when we are not practicing our spiritual disciplines in diving deep into the meal of Scripture, we're diving deep into the forms of entertainment, the world of social media, selfism and idolatry and identity issues outside of the gospel. When we're feasting on all that, no wonder we ain't got no appetite for the word of God. That's why we must starve ourselves from the things of this world. When we are fearful and you're filled with fear, that's when your idols surface. Because who or what do you turn to for comfort when you're in fear? That is your idol. If it's not Jesus, that is your idol. It could be your friend. It could be your playlist. It could be self-mutilation. It could be pills. It could be sex. It could be porn. No matter what that idol is, Answer the question in your mind, when I'm fearful, when I'm scared, 
When I'm anxious, what do I turn to? Who do I turn to? That is your idol. That is Jesus' competition. And tonight, Jesus is saying, break your idol. Turn away from those things that you find momentary comfort in and come to me so I can fuel your heart with my love and a desire for me in those moments that you were filled with fear. That's what he's calling us to. That's what he's telling Timothy when he says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear. Here's what's comforting, the word for, for God gave us a spirit, not a fear. That word for lets us know that Timothy is wrestling with fear. The way Paul wrote it, he's saying, Timothy, stop losing to fear. That's comforting because so often we think biblical heroes, people in the Bible, were perfect. And no, they weren't. When you go through the hall of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, and you look at some of the characters, like Moses, we think, oh, yeah, Moses with the long beard, played by Charlton Heston every Palm Sunday. Like, yeah, man, that, that Moses. Yeah, 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 that Moses. The one who had a speech impediment. The one who committed murder. The one whose anger problem kept him out the promised land. That Moses. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. You think of David, King David, who basically slept with another man's wife, set up that dude to be killed, had a baby with his side chick, and God allowed David to sit for nine to ten months with that unconfessed sin before he sent Nathan the prophet to confront him. To which Nathan the prophet was like, I got a word from the Lord, King David. King David's like, man, go ahead, bro, what it is. Nathan was like, man, there was this man. He was so rich. He had all these flock of sheep and lambs. And then there was this poor man who had one little precious lamb. That rich man saw that man who was poor with one lamb, and he came and he stole that lamb. What should happen? King David was upset. What? He did. You, he's got to pay him back. We're going to make sure that dude got stabbed. We're going to make it rain to bless that dude because of the foolish arrogance of that rich man. And, then, and then, then what you see is Nathan the prophet stands up and says, you are that man. You are the king of Israel. And Uriah is dead because you had his wife. God is calling you to repent. That's bold to call the king of the nation out on his sin that he sought to keep hidden. And God said, no more. David was not perfect, but he remained faithful. You think of Samson. Samson kept having sex with prostitutes. Samson broke the vow that he had with God. He was not perfect, but he was faithful. At the very end of his life, he was faithful. God is not calling you to be perfect in the sense that you can be perfect in your own strength. God is calling you to recognize your imperfection so that you can surrender it to Jesus and he clothes you in his perfection. So that you can walk with the confidence that I don't have to fear the wrath of God because Jesus took it all on the cross on my behalf. And when you understand that, then you know you can be faithful 
because Jesus was perfect. So with that, it's good to see that Timothy is wrestling with fear, that he's struggling because Timothy was not perfect, but he was faithful. See, God did not give us a spirit of fear, which means to shrink back when danger and pain approaches. There were things that Timothy was facing that caused him to fall back. His, his, his passionate pursuit of Jesus and his fire was dying down. And Paul was like, stop it, man. Don't buy into fear. Don't do it. Rekindle the fire for Jesus that you once had. In my life, there's been seasons when I've wrestled with fear. And I've lost and I've been losing. And it clouded my judgment. And I didn't go to the word of God. And it paralyzed me from making hard decisions. And I fight with depression. I'm not saying past tense. This is all every day I have to crucify the fight with depression and wrestle through these things. And constantly remind myself of the beautiful truth of the gospel. I have to force myself to be faithful. It's not something that happens naturally. My flesh wants to eat and dine on a buffet of fear. But that's where I have to tell my flesh, you are not my God. That's where I have to tell my comforts, you are not my Savior. That I have to tell my flesh no and deny the momentary gratification that I get from, from eating the, the, the buffet of fear and saying I starve myself from fear. And I have to force myself to read God's word, force myself to wake up and pray force myself to push away the meal so that I can fast and pursue Jesus because I have to tell my stomach, you are not my God. I have to tell my sex drive, you are not my God. I have to say these things to myself every day so that I can say, Lord, I want to be faithful for your glory, not for my comfort. God did not call us to be cowards. He didn't give us the spirit of fear. So what did he give us? Paul says, but of power, but of power. This is where we get the English word dynamite. In the hood growing up around 4th of July, they would sell quarter sticks of dynamite, M80s. And the reality of what we would hear when it was on our block and dudes were popping them M80s, it would shake and rattle our whole house because it's a quarter stick of dynamite that is blowing up on the street. So that dynamite, even though I was not the one that lit it, it, it carried enough power that it would boom and reverberate and shake the dishes. It would shake our house like an earthquake. And we would be like, darn them M80s, like stop it. It's not good to do it at three in the morning, y'all. Like we would get so frustrated because you would, it would come out of nowhere, this boom and everything would shake. Power, power. God has given you power through Jesus, not fear. That is the power to stand up and boldly proclaim Jesus with your lips and your lives when nobody else around you embraces him. It's not just power to say, I will not recant on Jesus when there's a gun to your head. Yes, praise be to God. If we're ever put in a position where we will die for Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit will give us boldness and empowerment to do that. But that's a rarity. 
The reality that I think God is calling us to here tonight is the power to not just say, I'll die for Jesus if it ever comes about, but live for him. The power to live for him now and tomorrow and the day after when there's no gun to your head and being faithful to him now at your age so that over the course of time, your faithfulness will develop into a rhythm of fearlessness. That when he calls you overseas, when he calls you to plant a church in urban America that you were never ever raised in, that when everyone else around you says, but aren't you scared? What about this? What about that? You can say, yes, I wrestle with fear. And yes, there are the potential for these things. But I've been walking with Jesus for so long. He's been faithful to me. I've been faithful to him that he has fueled me with this fearlessness to remain faithful, not just where I am now, but anywhere that he sends me. And you cannot understand that unless you're faithful with him now. You've got to understand the power that God has given you through Jesus Christ. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh of the body, you will live. The moment you embrace Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of you. This is God, the Holy Spirit. The one who is equal with the Father, the one who is equal with God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of every Christian. You are a power-packed package. You are more explosive than an M80 in the hood. Because the omnipotent God of the universe lives inside of you. So you know what that means? No addiction of the flesh should be able to hold you. You can confess your addiction. You can surrender your idols. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to break the chains of bondage. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to be infused with courage to let go of your past and walk in Jesus. You don't have to stay a prisoner of sin. You don't have to be addicted to sin. You can live pure now. These are things I was never told when I was your age. Yes, there will always be sinful struggles. Yes, we will always have to crucify our flesh. But that's why the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. To tell us that sin. To give us insight when we read the word of God. To draw us to times of prayer. To draw us to be led to share the gospel. To draw us to deny our comforts. That when we start falling back with our passion for God, that he, the Holy Spirit, reignites that flame and drives us to once again pursue our God with the same passion that we once had. And just for good measure, Ephesians 3.16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What does that mean? Let me read that one more again. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, according to the riches of God's glory, he gives you this strength. Now let me tell you what that phrase, according to the riches of his glory, means. Plants in a church in Long Beach, the cost of living in California is insane. It, it is just insane. But the reality is to plant a church, it takes money. So imagine if I saw a facility that I was like, man, this would be great for our ministry and we need to raise a million dollars to not only purchase but make renovations and get this facility up and running 
for our ministry to be successful in this community in North Long Beach. A million dollars. And let's say somebody rolls up on me and was like, hey, listen, I got a homie. He used to play for the L.A. Lakers. They just retired his jersey. He's heard about the work you're doing in Long Beach. His name is Black Mamba, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant wants to make a donation to help you purchase this building for the community center that you want to put into this neighborhood. He wants to meet with you. So if I go to Kobe Bryant and I'm like, Kobe, what's good, bro? Hey, look, man, this is our mission. This is our vision. This is what we did. Can you sign my son's shoes? In addition to that, hey, man, if you love to help us, the need that we have is $1 million, Kobe's. What you think? And he's like, this is good. I want to give back to the community. I'll have my people send you a check on Monday. Like, I will probably see walk out of that place and then be like, let's do it for Jesus, man. Then I go back to the crib, gather everybody on Monday, registered letter. It's that check from Kobe Bryant. Open up that check. The need is a million dollars. And I open up that check, and it's for $1,000. I'm going to be like, hey, Kobe, bro, what's really good with a champ? Like, $1,000, bro? I'm going to be disappointed because I know Kobe Bryant has way more than a million dollars. But he only wrote a check for $1,000 when I told him the need that we had was a million. But let's reverse that scenario. Let's go back, gather with the people. Registered letter, boom, open up that check. And what if the check is made out for $10 million? Oh, it's a whole different day, right? It's a whole different reaction. Because the stated need was a million, but he gave above and beyond what we need. See, going back to that scenario, the $1,000 check would have been if Kobe Bryant gave out of his riches, which means he's holding back. But if he gave that $10 million check when the need was $1 million, now he's giving according to his riches, showing that there is no stinginess. Let's appropriate that with this word. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches, not out of his riches, but according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What is he saying? Paul is telling us that God is not stingy when it comes to giving you the spiritual strength you need to walk in victory over sin and walk in faithfulness to Jesus. God who is omnipotent, which means there is no limitation to his power. There is no limit to his resourcing of giving you strength. He will give you the strength above and beyond what you need to lay down your idols, to lay down your comfort, to lay down fear, and to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. He's promised us this. But not only has he given us power, he's also given us love. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Evidence that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and the ability to demonstrate God's love can be seen in two ways. Number one, we demonstrate it in action because that's what God did for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The focus is not on who God loved but how God loved. He demonstrated his love. He didn't just say I love you. He demonstrated his love. That's why Romans 5, 8 tells us that he loved us while we were still sinners. If Jesus loved you at your lowest, he is going to love you for the long haul. That truth should allow you to have the confidence again to forsake your idols. Your idols don't love you. Listen to me. Your idols don't love you. The things that you seek comfort from, 
they don't love you with the depth of the love that God had for you. You were dead in sin, separated from God, addicted to sin, and a slave to sin. And while we were in that state of being, Jesus demonstrated his love by dying for us. No idol will ever do that for you. No person could ever do that for you outside of Jesus. So that should be enough motivation to say, my idols don't love me, why do I love them? Why do I give so much to these things or these people that couldn't do nothing to remove my sin debt? Should I not give Jesus then my all in all? But love is not just demonstrated in action. It's also experienced in a relationship. What I love about having children is that when they're young and I tell them I love you, they don't understand. They don't understand the concept of love. But now that my son is four years old, all the times that I, t- I tell him, I tell all my children, I tell my wife at least 30, 40 times a day, I love you. I just constantly say that to them. Not to the point that it devalues it, that it's like, yeah, I love you too, Dad. But it's because I sincerely love them. And the reality of my son is he's four years old. And he's starting to understand that Daddy loves him. Why? Because over four years we have experienced a lot. He has speech delay. There was a time where we thought they were going to diagnose him with autism. He would scream because he didn't know how to communicate. And all he wanted was a bowl of cereal because he was hungry. But he did not know how to say, Daddy, I'm hungry. We've been through a lot with my son, Deuce. And what I love about Deuce is that when I see him and he asks me, do you want to play Legos? Remember, I told you the boy all about Legos right now. He's like, you want to play Legos? And I'm like, Daddy's got to get work done. You want to play Legos? Daddy's got to get work done. No, play Legos. Like he just like go in. I'm like, all right, Deuce. I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. But low key, I feel guilty because I'm like, I'm putting work before my son, right? But I got to get work done, but I still want to play with my son. So I say, okay, Deuce, Daddy's going to play with you for a little bit. He doesn't understand a little bit, right? He's like, no, you're going to have to give me 24 hours. I expect nothing less from you, Dad. He just doesn't know how to say it that way. But that's the reality. So I'll sit down. And I'm a master builder. If you've ever seen the Lego movie, you know what I'm talking about. As I put things together as they are, and I'm building spaceships and building all crazy scenarios and scenes for me and Deuce. And in the midst of me putting stuff together and spending time with them, he'll just come up to me and give me a hug and kiss me on my cheek and say, I love you, Daddy. Because in that moment, he realizes we're experiencing life together. We're doing something together. It's one thing just to say I love you. It's another thing to live life with a person in a way that they know you're showing me you love me. I want to show you I love you. And at four years old, he understands that. But you know what? I've been walking with Jesus for 22 years, and I still struggle with this question. Jesus, do you still love me? I wrestle with that. I wrestle with the fear, does Jesus still love me? And in my flesh, I don't think he does. But when I go to the word, I'm reminded that he does. And I know that his love is demonstrated on the cross. But because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, every day is an experience with my Savior. And he's constantly showing me he loves me. You know who doesn't show me love? Those idols that I constantly flirt with. They don't show me love. But yet in my heart... I fight with being faithful to Jesus. I love you enough to tell you these things so that as you grow in the faith, you're going to recognize that fighting with idolatry 
is going to be a constant struggle. And when fear enters into the picture, you're going to be more prone in your flesh to turn to your idols. But I'm telling you, listen, please, I beg you, turn to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Don't turn to the idols that don't love you. Don't turn to the trends and the gimmicks that will be replaced in the next week, in the next two weeks, in the next month. Don't wrap your identity in things that do not love you. Find your identity in Jesus. And as you do that, you will practice self-control, which is the self-discipline that the power manifests itself through. is a disciplined lifestyle where we are an example to people in our speech, the way we talk, in our conduct, the way we act, in our love, the way we live, in our faith, the way we trust God, and in purity, pursuing purity sexually and full of integrity. When you do these things, you will live out what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, a passage that was quoted to me when I was in youth group all the time, but I did not understand it until I got older. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, and love, faith, and impurity. That word youth can describe somebody all the way up to 40. So, yo, I'm still a youth up in this joint, all right? So we are youth up in here. And we have been called to set an example for the older saints. As we get ready to close and the worship team comes up, listen, here's my heart for y'all. Here's the whole gist of it. Fear is real. Your flesh craves the buffet of fear. Your idols will surface when you run to them when you are wrestling with fear. It's natural to run and struggle with fear. Timothy wrestled with fear. I still wrestle with fear. Wrestling with fear does not disqualify you from being faithful to Jesus. Wrestling with fear gives you the opportunity to say no to your idols and yes to Jesus, proving your constant faithfulness to him. Would you stand with me as we pray? And as the band plays, I just want to I just want to call you to a response tonight. As we sing, I know you're going to go into community groups, but as we sing, throughout the course of this talk, if there are things that you know that God is showing you that are the idols in your life, I want you to be encouraged. Because if God has put those things on your heart, he is giving you an opportunity to let go of your idol, to smash your idol. Maybe it's you. Maybe you are your idol. It might be a relationship. It might be social media engagement. It might be various addictions. Whatever it is, I've prayed that God would show you what your idols are that you turn to instead of Jesus when you're struggling with fear. And as God has shown you your idols, I want to call you tonight to repentance. I want to call you to name your idols. I want to call you to surrender your idols. I want you to lay them down at the feet of Jesus and with open arms say, I want you, Jesus.
I don't want to give my love. I don't want to give my time. I don't want to give my money. I don't want to give my emotional investments to things or people who do not and cannot love me the way that you have demonstrated your love for me. Not just on the cross, but every day that I've been alive. And as you feel compelled, if you feel led to come down, if you feel led to turn around and kneel to pray, if you feel led to just cry out, you go as the Holy Spirit leads you so that you can be free from those idols. You can be free from the sin of idolatry. And you can embrace Jesus. And you can develop a rhythm of being faithful to Jesus now that will allow you to be fearless for him no matter where he leads you in the future. So let me pray. We will sing. And as you feel compelled to move, you move as God leads. Father. We ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to show us those things that we turn to instead of Jesus. Everything that is competition with Jesus in our heart and in our life, I pray, Lord God, that you would surface them and you would show them to us and that we would make the conscious decision as your people to surrender those idols to you, to break them, to smash them, to walk away from them so that we can pursue Jesus with passion and that we could walk out of this place followers of Christ who were seeking to be more faithful so that we, Father God, would be faithfully fearless in all that we say and do. Speak to us, comfort us, lead us, and direct us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. service. It's, it's the attitudes, the action of our hearts. It's a continual thing that we're to do, constantly repenting, constantly responding to the truth of the gospel. And again, maybe, maybe for some of you tonight, it's become clear. Jesus has been made visible in, in a way that you've never known before. You've, you've heard, if you've been here over the last few days, the, the gospel and what Christ has done, but it, it became real tonight. And if that's if that's you, we encourage you. One, we want to celebrate with you, but to share it, to talk about it, to let your community group leader know, let your small group leader know, your youth pastor know. And even uh, if you're wrestling with your idols, wrestling with some things in your life that they grip on you, His mercy is more. He's better. Surrender. Let let go. So I'm just going to pray for us. We're going to continue tonight. Uh, but I, I don't want us to move past this point. You respond the way that God, the Holy Spirit, is leading you tonight. Would you just pray with me, Lord? We love you. Just thank you for the word that you've given us tonight. Holy Spirit, we ask that, that you would have your way. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our lives. Help us to see and understand They don't love us. You love us. Your mercy is more. It is greater. It's what you say to be true about us is what is true. Lord, we, we want to know you. We want to follow you. But I just pray for my friends in this room that tonight that, that they would surrender 
and in the surrender that they would find their joy in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Be seated for just a minute. I'm going to invite DA to, to come back up and, and join me, and we're just going to take a minute to talk just a little bit more about some of the things that, that we've heard. Can we just say a huge thank you to DA? Brother, thank you so much for serving us today. Um, man, so much to take in, and, and we're going to go to our community groups in just a minute, and that'll give you another chance just to kind of do some ground war and work some of these things out in your heart and in community. But um, as, as you were talking and you were sharing, you know, you, you said, you know, our idols don't love us. Yeah. You know, we, we love them. They don't love us. God loves us. Mm. Um, our idols don't love us. And I think we all kind of inherently know that because yeah. they let us down. Why, why, in your opinion, do they have so much of a grip on us? Um, yeah. And kind of follow up to that, you talked about you know, crucifying your sin daily. Yeah. Um, and I just want to encourage you. I, you know, we've gotten to hang out a little bit over the last couple of days, and I've heard you teach before, and there's just a humility in your life of really trying to do that every day. How do we, especially people in this room, teenagers, how do you, how, why is sin such, has such a hold on us when it doesn't love us, but how do you begin to crucify it daily? Just yeah. some practical things. <clears throat> um, well, I think the reason that we love idols, and I can personalize it, the reason I love idols is because of my five senses. I see, taste, touch, feel, smell. I can... I can see them. I can engage. I, I can feel. And there's this idea that I don't see God like face to face. And that's where I have to change my method of thinking. When I'm not engaging with the Word of God, my idols are more tempting and they seem more comforting because they're tangible. I see them. I hear them. I feel them. But then when I look at the Word of God, Romans 1 reminds me that creation is screaming that there is a God. Creation is putting on display the invisible attributes of God that have been made visible. That every time the wind blows, the sun shines, the rain falls, those are all evidences that God not only created the world, but He is engaging in the world. But then there's the testimony of the Spirit of God who lives inside of me. I feel conviction when I sin. And then I feel a renewed passion for Jesus when I name my sin and I confess my sin. And even as it means crucifying my flesh, I have to begin to look at the real reason why I do what I do. Like a struggle that I have, it, it sounds funny, but it's a real struggle, is going through the drive-thru to get a cheeseburger and fries. And when my wife asks me, what did you eat for lunch? Because I'm embarrassed and I feel guilt and shame. Oh, nothing. Or I had a glass of water. Or I just had French fries. And it's, that's a lie. That's a sin. That's an offense against God and that's an offense against my wife. And then she'll go and find a receipt. And it itemizes everything that I purchased. And if I'll be very honest, there was a time about six months ago. That's what I'm saying. These things are real. They're fresh. These are constant things. This is why I have to crucify my flesh every day. It'd be different if I said, oh, yeah, when I was 19 or, oh, when I was 13. No, this was like within the past six months, my wife asked me, when did you go to McDonald's? Oh, that's not mine. That was somebody they left their bag in the car. Damon, it was in the middle console with the thing shut. That's not mine. 
And it was like, oh, snap. No, I did go through McDonald's drive-thru, and I had, a, I had a quarter pounder with fries and a Sprite. And I had a headache that day. So I, I said I wanted something to eat so I can take Advil. Like, legit, that was my thought process. And my wife found that receipt while we were going to a hospital to visit people who just had their baby premature, one-pound baby, and we were bringing them lunch. And I lied to my wife before we went into the hospital. So here I am going into the hospital with this sin right before me that my wife knows. It wasn't until later that evening that when she was giving uh, our son a bath that I went into the bathroom with her and said, I have to confess I lied, I sinned, I'm sorry. I grieved the heart of God and I grieved you. And she said, Damon, you lie over something so small, something so silly, why, why do you do this? And I said, it's the embarrassment. I'm embarrassed and I don't want to know that you are disappointed. So I would rather lie so you won't be disappointed in me and that makes me feel okay in my flesh. So that's when I have to wake up in the morning and say, help me to be a truth teller. Because I preach the word of God. I preach the truth of God. God works in spite of me, not because of me. So that means God can use anybody. That's why I want to empower everyone who ever hears me preach. You can do the same thing that I do by opening the word and proclaiming it. But the thing that I have to do is I have to match my lifestyle with what I communicate. And when I don't, I better be ready to confess my sins publicly if I preach publicly. So that leads me to consider those things and walk with that brokenness and never lead anybody astray to think, oh, he has it all together. Oh, he's way more perfect than I'll ever be. No, I'm not. The same cross that I preach, the same idols that I call out for you, those are practices that I have to do every day is lay those things at the feet of Jesus. So good. Just kind of even talking about that even more. What, you know, and again, we're in the South. You mm -hmm. know, there's, there's a lot of churches, churches all in every corner. Um, what's the difference between kind of a legalistic approach to that kind of stuff versus a, to use preacher talk, Puritan talk, that mortification, that yeah. killing sin, you know, uh, there was an Owen who said, you know, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Right. So what's, what's the difference between, oh, I, I need to do this because I need to do this versus that power you're talking about, you know, that he's given us the power to do that. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, legalism leads me away from Jesus. Legalism leads me to a standard of conduct of living that I set for myself that is set up outside of the Word of God. Legalism is me forcing my personal convictions and my personal framework for life on other people. And if they don't meet my standards, then I hold them in contempt. And the whole time, I'm wrong. But looking at the Scriptures and putting our flesh to death, surrendering our idols, this is what we're called to do in Scripture. Legalism drives us away from Jesus owing up for our sinfulness and telling Jesus, I don't have the power today, I don't have the strength, and I don't have the desire. It's about being honest. A relationship that is meaningful and that is long-lasting has to be built on, on honesty. And so even in my wife, when she's forgiven me for the foolish little things that I've done in that, she knows that when it comes to major things, handling finances, am I committing adultery? Like, these are things that we, real conversations we have because I'm building that rapport of truthfulness. And at the same time, the reality of, of legalism would lead me to believe that I can build a righteousness for myself and I don't need Jesus. 
So that's what it ultimately does. But when I say, no, my sins are before me, I'm broken, I want to be a person of integrity, I want to be pure in every area of my life, I don't feel pure, I don't feel like Jesus loves me anymore because I keep falling into things, that's when I have to recognize. For a pastor, there are these uh, uh, characteristics that should be the normal rhythm of our life in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. So my wife knows those characteristics. The men that I serve with in the church, they know those characteristics. They hold me accountable. I confess my sin. I volunteer things to them where they don't have to go searching through my life. And when I miss, mess up and I, I tell my, the guys that hold me accountable, I tell them, hey, man, I lied to my wife, da-da-da. They laugh initially, and they're like, man, that's so silly. I'm like, no, it seems so silly, but you know what? It's a serious sin. Like, it really is because this is a bad habit that goes back to my childhood. Yeah. I don't know how to deal with embarrassment and disappointment. And so if I can conceal this from my wife, then I'm scared to think, what can I conceal from God and others? Yeah. Obviously nothing from God, so that's why it takes us back to what does the Word say? And the last thing is Psalm 139, 23, and 24. When I think I'm good, I pray that prayer regularly every day. God, know my thoughts. Know my heart. Show me. If there's any grievous way in me, if there's anything offensive to you, God, in my life, surface it. And you know what? He does. So that's a normal prayer for that's you. That's a normal prayer. It's a scary prayer to pray. It's a scary prayer. But it's a liberating prayer that I have a clear conscience that I can get up and preach and teach and communicate. That I can take the Lord's Supper, communion, without the fear of Jesus stepping in to discipline me because of secret sin or unrepentant lifestyle that I have, that I can take it publicly and say, man, yes, I'm broken and I need Jesus, but he has surfaced my sin. I confess it. I name it. I surrender it. I seek forgiveness from those that I've offended, and I walk with the brokenness that he can still use me. And he takes my brokenness, and he makes it beautiful for his glory. It's awesome. So if you're, you're taking notes, Psalm 139, 1 through 2, if you're serious about wanting to, to pursue Jesus that way, that's a great daily prayer, but be warned, you know, God answer that prayer. That's, that's good. And, you know, what, what you're saying is, I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the Pharisees. You know, they had all the rules, and, but they were willing to bend the rules, yeah. you know, for themselves and justify the rules themselves. And, but when the measuring stick is God, mm-hmm. it changes changes everything. Um, going off of something that you just said, you know, you said earlier at the very beginning of the message that, um, you know, if, if being faithful to God today is what caused you to be fearless tomorrow, and you just mentioned your wife, accountability, um, what role does other people, do other people have in helping us be faithful? Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, we, we kind of live in an isolated culture, you know, we are we are more connected than we've ever been, and yet we're more isolated than we've ever been, I yeah. feel like. Um, so what, what part does community have in pursuing faithfulness, just in your, your understanding? Yeah, community, like we talked about this morning, it, it's comfort of having family with you to know that you're not in this walk, in this race alone. Um, but it's also about unveiling your heart and your life uh, to a few people, not to everybody equally, like the, the confession of sins and things that I share publicly. Obviously, uh, there, there's wisdom in my speech, um, but the reality is that there are people that have access to my life. Uh, my wife, obviously, passwords to my phone, so every email account, my emails go to her phone, uh, all those things. So she can look through my search history. And again, when you're walking with no fear, then you're, you're okay to, to walk as an open book. And when people notice something and they call you out on it, how you respond shows them if, they're, if you're hiding something deeper. 
so I can sleep at peace at night knowing I'm not living a scandalized lifestyle. And that's where the community of faith comes in. Because I'll tell you this, when you walk with Jesus and you love Jesus and you're bold and you're passionate about him, people who don't know Jesus and don't love Jesus, they will slander you. People that do know Jesus and they're convicted by your love and your passion for Jesus, there's a potential that they will slander you and try to do much harm to you. So this is what you have to learn is that the people outside of your accountability circle do not hold your reputation. They will slander you. They will say things about you. They will gossip about you. Expect that. We see it in Scripture. They did it to Jesus. They will do it to us. And it hurts. And it makes you think, wait, are they right? That's why having community and close accountability that can say, I know what they're saying, but I know that's not true about you. We hold your reputation, not them. They have other issues that they're dealing with, let them deal with their issues. But as for us, if anybody questions your character, we can say, no, I know him. I know his life rhythm. And if anybody were to call his sin out, it would be his wife first. Because she loves him and she wants him to walk in Jesus. And the same thing, my wife expects me to call her sin out. And when we have that level of understanding, there's a comfort. There's a peace that no matter what's being said, no matter what's being shared, no matter what slander goes down, when I start to believe the lies of other people, my community pulls me back and reminds me that's not true. Stop believing the lies that other people say about you. Believe the gospel. Because when I believe the lies of others, that's when I wrestle with depression. That's when the enemy throws suicidal thoughts in my mind. This is all present tense stuff that I have to constantly give to the Lord because of things that have been said, things that have been communicated. And in my flesh, low key, I start to believe those voices. So having those voices that know you, that know God's word, and that love you, they bring you back to the truth of the Christ. That's awesome. I just want to encourage you guys, you're thinking through that. Who are those people? And truth be told, and a lot of us don't like to hear this, for, for many of you, that, that's your parents mm -hmm. even in that circle. Which I know that's the last person sometimes that we want to go to and talk to. But if you've got parents who love Jesus and love the word, they are a gift of grace in your life with these kind of things. That, that God has placed there to help guard your soul during this season of life. For others, that might be a youth pastor, student leader. Yeah. And so, you know, don't, don't push back what God might be giving you in that because it's a gift. Um, you know, at the very end, you, you talked about uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 4. Um, and let no one despise your youth. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of youth in the room, uh, a lot of people under the age 40 in the room, That's youths, us. right? Yeah. We in here. Forever, right? <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> this is a cool thing. It's like you said, Apostle Paul's toward the end of his life. He's entrusting a lot to Timothy, mm -hmm. who's young. A lot of young people in the room. So, uh, I'd love to kind of hear you flesh that out a little bit more of, can the, these people in the room be used by God today in the church, or is that something that's coming later on? And, and you, even, you even mentioned in that verse, it says, set an example. Yeah. How, if I'm a teenager, a college student, what, how do I set an example for adults that are 10, 20, 30 years older than me? Yeah. What, what, what does that look like? You know, um, the reality is that you loving Jesus with all you have now you have no idea who's watching you while you love Jesus with all you have. 
and how that could even draw their heart to a good jealousy to say, I remember when I used to love Jesus like that young person. And God could use you to fan that flame for them because their fire is dying out because the cares of the world, the pressures of adulthood, raising children, paying college tuition, like going into debt, like those are real things that as we get older and we have these pressures that we didn't have when we were your age, you have pressures. They're legit. And you have stress. I'm not saying that you don't. But what I'm saying is it's a little bit more complex and it's way more weighty because you don't have the fallback of a safety net of parents or guardians or people around you that are responsible for you, for your upbringing, that when you're on your own, you're on your own. And so they look at you and they watch you. And I pray that they would see you love Jesus and that they would say, I remember what that used to be like, and I want that once again. And I'll never forget, there was one time where we were in our church, and we were recording a video, and I was 17 years old, so I was walking with the Lord, and I remember I asked them if I could pray before they asked me the question, and I prayed, and then when the uh, camera went on after I prayed, and they asked me the question, and I gave the answer, I remember knowing in that moment the Holy Spirit was speaking through me. Like, I remember feeling that, like, Dude, I know I'm not talking. God is speaking through me. Like, I remember saying that. God used that little short video clip, and it was played around this church that I grew up in. And we had about four or 5,000 people in our church. So it was a pretty sizable church in the hood. And I remember adults coming up to my mom saying, God spoke to me through what your son said. And even one lady said, I'm going to go with the pastor who's planting a church because I was like, who is that young man's youth pastor? And as he was going to plant a church, that I'm whoever trained this young man, I'm going with him. And I remember, and I still hear about that video to this day, 20-something years later, and I still hear about that video. And I was 17. And these are people who were uprooting their, their roots and their faith of community to move because they were inspired by something that a young person said in a 15-second clip in a four-minute video. God can use that. And that's why I say, I know what it's like to sit where you're sitting. I know what it's like to hear somebody come in, preach, stir our hearts. But when I was your age, I never thought that God would use me to speak to tens of thousands of people every year. So I know that there is the potential for not just future preachers, but world leaders. And I don't say that flippantly, like CEOs and architects and veterinarians and doctors and principals and superintendents, like that is who potentially is in here. And if you can love Jesus now, then you will match your giftedness and passions for his glory, and he will allow you to be used to reach who knows who and who knows how many for his glory, all because at this stage in life, you were faithful to him. Amen. Amen. So good. You need your church family, and your church family needs you. It's not just one day when you get older, and just what God can do in and through you if you're willing to be faithful is an amazing thing. Brother, you've been such a blessing. Um, any final thoughts or charge you'd want to give to the students tonight? Yeah, be prepared. Be prepared that if you have an emotional high, a spiritual awakening, an encounter with Christ, Monday morning is going to come. Tuesday morning is going to come. Wednesday morning is going to come. You're going to have to get up early for school. You're going to have to go right back into the same pressures that you walked away from last week, okay? The outside world is not going to change just because Jesus rocked your world this weekend. So be prepared for that and fight to be faithful to Jesus. Take it one day at a time. And that's why I can't say it enough. I promise you, one day at a time, dig into the word, 
pray, surrender your idols to Jesus regularly. And over the course of time, you will wake up one day, Lord willing, 20-something years later, still in love with Jesus. I did not see that growing up. I did not see somebody who met Jesus in their teens and was passionately in love with Jesus in their 30s, approaching their 40s. I didn't see it. I heard about them coming to Jesus after college. I heard about them coming to Jesus six months ago. But rarely did I see that. And that's why I, I still speak to youth because I want you to know it is possible. All my sin, all my mistakes, all my brokenness that has remained since I've become a Christian, Jesus still uses me for his glory. Jesus still loves me, and I still love Jesus. And I pray that you would be able to say the same thing when you're approaching 40 as well. Amen. Hey, can we just say thank you again to DA? Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man.